Yeah, before we get started, guys, got to got to tell you about Green Roads. And if you're not familiar with Green Roads, they're an awesome CBD company, the number one privately held CBD company in the U.S. by market share. They've got everything uh, that has to do with CBD. They've got CBD capsules, sleep Z's, relaxing gummy bears, CBD bath bombs, literally any type of product that you want CBD in, Green Roads has. Uh, check them out today. You guys can get 20% off when you use the code DNBR20. Uh, that's on their website, greenroads.com. Pick out your items, enter the code DNBR20 for 20% off. Uh, like I said, they got everything. And the awesome thing about Green Roads is their award-winning products. Their pharmacist founded, pharmacist formulated. So uh, this is the real stuff. Use code DNBR20 for 20% off your entire purchase. What is up, everybody, and welcome into the DNVR Nuggets podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Use promo code DNVR when you sign up, and you're going to want to do that because we're always doing cool stuff with DraftKings, always telling you how to make some money, all kinds of great odds boosts, tons of stuff. Uh, today, I'm, I'm your host, Adam Mata, is doing um, the duo pod today, joined by my esteemed colleague, Harrison Wynn. You guys can't see him, but the wind was definitely in his hair today. <laughs> How you doing, man? Um, I, I'm excited for this show. You have my full attention. The Bachelor just wrapped up tonight, right before <laughs> we got on. So uh, I'm focused. Uh, I'm ready. Um, I, I'm. You have all my attention. Whoa, boy, man! I can't. I'm so glad I set this for late at night. I, I can't imagine if I would have done this during the Bachelor. I would have. I would. I wouldn't have had you at all. How was it tonight? Was it uh, some big surprises? You know. I, Without getting too far into it, it's been a pretty boring season. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We're now one episode away from the finale, and I think everybody's just excited to get it over with, to to be quite honest. So, um, yeah, that's next week. Uh, Well, I'm excited to get this one week break we have had from the NBA over with. It's wild how I was, we talked about this last week. I was kind of like ready for a little bit of a break and I had a great weekend, you know, got away from some, from, from things and, and really recharged the battery, but I, my, the battery recharged quicker than, than anticipated. Here we are almost Tuesday and I'm, I'm already like, we got three more days of this. What the heck? I know this is when I realized, I don't know if you're this way, but this is when I realized that my life is really just all basketball and <laughs> it's a pretty so boring true. life. It's and true. that's really the only thing it revolves around. It is it's, true. It's kind of pathetic to be honest, but I mean, <laughs> this is when I have those realizations. It's like dinner parties and stuff and you're hanging out with friends. And once you get through the basketball portion of conversation, you're like, oh, crap, I'm out of conversation. Hold on. I got to go deep <laughs> into the well here. Um <laughs> I don't know, though, Harrison, if you were aware of what happened over this weekend. But you can correct me if you think I'm wrong. A Cold War has begun between the city of Denver and the city of Milwaukee. <laughs> uh, as our, our beloved superstars, Giannis Attentacupo, Nikola Jokic, formed a bromance. And I think it was a legitimate bromance. You know, Giannis saying uh, he really likes being around Jokic, really finds him fun. You saw the the twinkle in both of their eyes playing together. And I think this is a great thing. It, here, I'm, I'm kind of being tongue-in-cheek here about the Cold War. But here's what I would say. It's not nothing, and it's not something. And both guys are under contract for a really long time. But what it does tell me, what it does tell me is, guys like to play with guys they like. 
I don't think Kevin Durant likes Jokic. I don't think LeBron, I mean, I think they like him, but I don't think they like feel like, oh man, that's a guy I'd love to play with. LeBron, you know, Steph, all these guys. Giannis, I think when that time comes, when his contract is up or whenever their, you know, arc is, is finished, I do think he would be like, you know, that's a guy I'd like to play with. So it's not a story I want to hype up now and do the full, you know, ESPN, the jump thing where we start trying to move players around when they have five years left on their deals. But it's just something I have, I'm putting in my, the back of my mind here of, Hey, those guys like each other. Yeah. No, it's very notable. It's, um, it's very notable and it's beautiful. Also, if, if I'm being quite honest, <laughs> it's very beautiful, it's beautiful. The bromance that they now have. Um, I think it's real. I, I think it's genuine. And those two, they have more in common than you think. I mean, they're both 26 years old. Uh, so far, they're so both good. from Europe. That's one thing Jokic said when I asked him about Giannis after the All-Star game. He said, yes, we have that European connection. Um, I like playing with everybody. I especially like playing with Giannis. Uh, that's what he said. I just also feel like they kind of approached the same way and also had a bit of the same demeanor in the all-star game. Like these two guys, uh, they love the game. Yeah. Obviously Jokic loves to pass. Giannis loves to score. They're kind of opposites in that way, but in a way they fit together. Their two games just fit beautifully together. And in the all-star game, I don't know about you, but it felt like particularly with Jokic, and this is just kind of always the way he is in all-star games, but it just kind of, came to, to my mind this year just with the first half of the season that he's had he's just been carrying such a load for this team yeah. and it seemed like in that all-star game it's the one game he's gonna play this season where he just doesn't have the weight of the nuggets riding on his shoulders right. and kind of the same for Giannis too I mean Milwaukee's in championship or bust mode this season he's got a lot of pressure night tonight it seemed like to me both of those guys kind of just let loose a little yeah, let loose, but I mean, the big thing for me here is just, again, like, I don't know how many players in the NBA really like Giannis and are going to Giannis has the same problem that, you know, Jokic has. He's in Milwaukee, not exactly a place people are, like, flocking to in free agency. Um, he's not necessarily the charismatic guy like a LeBron where all the stars are looking up to him. Or they, Even though he's a two-time MVP, there's not all these guys that are, like, just itching to join Giannis and be a part of Giannis's inner circle or what have you. So, to, and the same is true of Jokic. Like, I think guys really genuinely like him around the league, but I don't know if the guys are like, man, you know who I could really become roommates with and get bunk beds and we hang out and build TV, you know, forts and stuff. Like, but I, I do feel like those two guys are very similar in a lot of ways, not just that they're European, but that they just their approach to the game and, and their approach to celebrity and those types of things, I think are similar. So it's yeah. noteworthy to me. And it was funny because I was thinking about this. And again, we're going to talk about this today and we'll probably make jokes about it here and there, but we're not going to make this a talking point for like months on end or whatever. But, um, you know, it is one of those things where you look at Denver is a city that European players have really enjoyed being in. And it's great, great weather. Even in the winter, it's great weather. You know, it's small enough that you can, small enough of a market that you can kind of hide out and not get all those bright spotlights. Like, but then you go to Milwaukee, there's a Serbian population. You know, so I, I kind of look at it and I go, man, there is a little bit of, uh, you know, if those two were to try to conspire and say, hey, I'd like to play together. First of all, their games. I've always said that I think Giannis is the best power forward possible for Jokic because he's the best defender that can play power forward and do the things that you would need. So there's like I, that's why I say this is a real talking point that I don't want to like linger on. But it is something that I think is like, all right, everybody mark this down in your calendars. Giannis Jokic bromance. It is birthed in the all-star game 2021. So yeah. I, I, I thought it was oh, 
also their their personalities they just kind of fit they're both these just they're just like these natural not free spirits but just like genuine people and that's almost like so rare in the nba today And, and i wonder if part of Giannis's um just admiration of Jokic is that Jokic doesn't try to be cool. Totally. He doesn't try to be his own brand. He's not obsessed with his image. And all these superstars like walk through that all-star locker room and you can all put them in that category. They're all so brand conscious. They all like their whole life is dictated by what their image is. And Jokic just isn't that at all. And he's probably the only one or one of the few like that. And just to see another all-star who's at your level, who just doesn't try to be cool. That's got to be like endearing <laughs> to a guy like Giannis, I think. Would you you be be honest? So I'm gonna put this into the universe, but 2024 or five or whatever it would be, the the Nico and Giannis show on D, the DNVR network. There we go. It's on the DNVR YouTube <laughs> network. We got it. We're gonna produce it. It's gonna be incredible. Most popular YouTube show in the entire universe. Um. Anyway, we, we can move on because I don't like I said that's just so far away that it, it, it just was a nice little footnote here. Um, but I do have a bunch of topics here that are sort of like framing the conversation for the Nuggets and just kind of framing, um, you know, what's gonna what's important halfway through the season, and they all kind of are intertwined a little bit. Of course, they're intertwined. They're a lot about like the main three players. Are a lot about the rotation. The where I want to start with it is. Just the question about Michael Porter Jr. at Power Forward and how much the team can afford to play him there. But before we even talk about playing him there, I want to give these – I just want to see if you think it's important to. And if we look at the Nuggets' most frequently used lineups, the first most frequent lineup that the Nuggets have played is last year's starters. It does not include Michael Porter. It has Will Barton at small forward, Paul Millsap at Power Forward, and then, of course, Murray, Gary Harris, and Jokic. That lineup has a plus 9.9 differential according to Cleaning the Glass. What I like about Cleaning the Glass's stats is they cut out garbage time. So, you know, a lot of teams either pad their stats or lose their stats in garbage time when the, when it doesn't matter. This one, plus 9.9 is pretty elite. That's a, in the 71st percentile. And it largely because of offense. Their offense is, is a really dynamic offense in the 90th percentile for five-man lineups. The next three lineups all feature Michael Porter. One of them at power forward, which was the Will Barton at small forward, Michael Porter at power forward. And that lineup just crushes the 94th percentile, 129 offensive rating, plus 23 net. The next two both have Michael Porter at small forward alongside Paul Millsap. And one of those is good with Will Barton, plus 23. One is with Gary Harris, minus 19, 16.5. So to, to reiterate... The best uh, or the most used lineup does not feature Michael Porter, and it's very good. One lineup features him at power forward. One lineup features him at small forward. Um, just when when you look at that data, do you feel like it's meaningful and that you look at it and say, hey, the Nuggets were really good when he was at power forward. They should continue that experiment. Or do you think this is more to do with the Nuggets just weren't good at the beginning of the season. They were good later in the season, and they just so happened to have him at power forward later in the season. Um. I think a lot of it might, I mean, I don't know. I don't have the answers. I'm not going to say I do, but like, I think a lot of it might have to do with the fact that they were so up and down earlier in the season and then just kind of found their stride. I I think wherever the Nuggets play Michael Porter, they're going to be a really good offense. Yeah. Yeah. If they play him at the three, if they play him at the three alongside, I don't know, like PJ Dozier, Vlaco, Chanchar, 
RJ Hampton and Nicole Jokic, like they're going to have a good offense. You know, <laughs> if they put anybody around Nicole Jokic and Michael Porter. I think the offense is going to be fine. And Jamal Murray for that matter. Um, but the, the big reason why I think they should continue to play him at the four is because he ended the first half of the season in such a good space mentally and also yeah. with what he was doing on the court. And this is something we've seen with him. When you have mixed up his role uh, throughout these last couple of years, when you've had him playing with like different lineups, different combinations, uh, different minutes, it sometimes has taken him longer to adjust. And the fact that he's in such a great rhythm or or was in such a great rhythm when this all-star break hit, uh, the fact that I really think he's bought into having to be an all around player uh, to, to really contribute to this team in the area where this team needs him to the fact that he's bought into that he said the right things and his defense has really been improving I think and just things are trending up for him I just think Denver's got to do what they can to continue that trajectory yeah so you made the point all of these lineups have a phenomenal net rating or have a phenomenal offensive rating and they all actually have a really good you know, overall rating. What's interesting is you look at the two lineups that um, one has Will Barton at shooting guard and one has Gary Harris at shooting guard. And then, you know, Millsap at the four Porter at the three. And one of those Will Barton's is the team's best lineup. It's just like crushes it on offense. It's great. It's very solid on defense and it's a plus 23 net. It's the best lineup they have. And then the second, and then the one with Gary Harris is one of their worst lineups that they have in roughly the same minutes. I think there was just a little bit of a difference in minutes, but it, do you, that's why I look at the stat and I go, okay, if I was trying to rationalize that will Barton gives the team another ball handler, whereas Gary Harris maybe doesn't. So, okay, there's that. But I actually just don't think it's that. I really do just think it is one competition. Like the Nuggets have racked up some of the some of their, you know, who you play on such limited minutes really matters. But I think more than anything, it's just that Michael Porter was so clearly shook early in the year and things were not going well. It just kind of snowballed. And those are all the I think the Gary Harris minutes um, with that lineup, they all but two of them happened in the first four games of the season. And it's everything about that was was a disaster. So I'm inclined to say that if Michael Malone decides to go back to Paul Millsap or maybe Jermichael Green or who knows, a Hail Mary, Zeke Nye, he's not going to go to Zeke Nye. But if he goes to Paul Millsap or Jermichael Green, I I wouldn't be shocked and I don't think it would be the worst. The more I look at it, the more I just don't think it would be the worst thing. It can succeed. Yeah. So that's kind of how I look at it. I do wonder though, and then, oh, by the way, last year, only 50 minutes were played with those four Murray, Porter, Millsap, and Jokic, um, only 50 minutes the entire season, and they were all with Torrey Craig. So this is another example of how, like last year, even though there was a lot of successes, you didn't get nearly as many data points as you would have hoped to be able to carry over to this season. Um, Did you have a note? Yeah, I just look at how they wrapped up the first half of the season. They went 5-1 and in their last six games. All of those came with Porter starting at the four. And – Look, they probably should have gone six and zero oh, uh, in those games. The one loss to the was to the Wizards, and if they just convert a three on one fast break, oh, the so the game, they, they go six and zero oh out of the break or to go into the break. Um, so yeah, I, I just think they need to keep kind of the momentum going with the the combinations they were playing. And if you look at how the big three kind of scored 
and how the points were kind of distributed over those six games. I mean, it was beautiful. It was Murray averaged 26 a game over the last six games. Jokic averaged 30 per game over the last six games. MPJ 17 per game on just ridiculous efficiency, 53% from three also, 10 and a half rebounds per game. Um, But it's probably going to come down to, and I would think in Michael Malone's mind, it's going to come down to, can Porter defend well enough at the four to play right. big minutes there. Can he continue to rebound like he has uh, to play big minutes at the four? And, you know, we don't have enough data to see if he can hold up defensively, but I hope we get to find out. The other thing that's interesting about it is just how many, and this is where the real question is for me, because I think there's going to be opportunities in the second half of the season to experiment with a lot of different lineups. So I don't think that like whatever they come out the gate with, oh, we're never going to see anything else. But, you know, you do look at it, just go through the playoff teams. The Lakers are going to have Anthony Davis and LeBron James. You're almost certainly going to have to go through them. That's a real task. Like that's, I don't think that Michael Porter is equipped to handle Anthony Davis. So, okay. That, that I don't think will Barton, you know, you slide him down. I, I don't know if that works. You might end up getting murdered, but then you go to some of the other teams and you go, okay. Um, you know, Clippers play pretty small. They play basically one big and a bunch of wings and guards. You look at uh, the Utah Jazz, they play Gobert, and then Bogdanovich is the four. Okay, Michael Porter can match up with him. You you go through Dallas. All of these teams, I don't think that you actually get punished for playing. It's not even small. It's just thin. It's not, it's not strong. You know, it's kind of, we can call it weak, or I guess physically weak. Uh, you don't get punished. So that makes me wonder if it's a playoff like primer the more you play those kind of minutes or if it's just a regular season one and then a team just goes big and Michael Porter gets murdered I don't know yeah I don't know either and it's an interesting point because I think we're gonna get to if like the Nuggets need to go get a small forward or something at the trade that and it's like yeah I mean you need to get one if you're playing the Lakers or maybe the Clippers everybody else I don't know and it's kind of the same thing with MPJ at the four if you're playing the Lakers yeah it's a terrible matchup for him but against every other team, it's kind of advantageous for Denver because they're going to be so good on offense, most likely. They're going to really just be able to kind of um, force the issue, like, like force their opponent into adjustments there with, with how potent they'll be offensively. And then, you know, maybe if you do match up with the Lakers, you adjust the starting lineup. I wouldn't think that's like the worst thing in the world either. So, yeah, it's, we'll see. It's funny too, because like the idea of matching up with the Lakers and beating them, you know, it it just seems really tough. I mean, Denver can get better, but the idea of Denver maybe getting so good offensively that the Lakers have to adjust to them, you know, that maybe that's your best bet. Both of them seem, you know, really difficult, but Hey, that's what it takes to win a championship. And I don't know. I just wonder if Denver has a version of the death lineup of their own death lineup. That's sort of brewing here with three elite scores, three elite shooters. And then you start peppering them in there. You, you know, you play your strengths, not the other team's strengths. That, that honestly might be it. What is your prediction for Michael Malone's starting lineup on Friday? Assume, let's just assume everybody's healthy. Cause I, I don't know what the word is, but do you know the word? Do you know if Gary Harris will be back? I don't know, but Gary Harris is the one I feel like has the biggest question mark. Um, around him if if he's just going to be healthy or not I mean Gary Harris missed seven games the first time with the adductor he's missed eight this time and he's had the all-star break so that still seems a little early maybe to bring him back considering he missed seven games the first time and then re-injured it um but if everybody is healthy if Gary Harris is in the lineup um I bet Malone would start 
Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Will Barton, Michael Porter Jr., Nikola Jokic. Those yeah. five. And that's actually my preferred lineup, you know, for them to start if everybody's healthy too. So that's the small lineup. Hmm. We'll, we'll see it. If Gary Harris isn't, you know, it does seem like it's a little bit easier for Malone. He slides Barton up, he slides, you know, Porter up, and then he goes to Millsap. So maybe some of this gets answered just by who's available to him. But if everybody's available, it'll be interesting. Um, let's hit our first break. We have on the other side though. I want to ask about Jamal Murray, um, 12 games in a row where he was on fire. So we're just going to kind of talk about his arc for the season, uh, and whether this is here to stay. Yeah, guys, make sure to pick up some mile high city copper lager from Breck brew. You know, the can that nuggets skyline blue can with the nuggets logo on it. So it's the beer that we prefer to drink during nuggets games. You'll see us drinking it on the post game lounge on the pregame lounge, maybe even, um, once games start up again on Friday, uh, check it out. The Mile High City Copper Lager from Breck Brew. A great tasting beer. Perfect to sip during Nuggets games. Uh, pick it up from Breck Brew. Pick it up from your local liquor store. You can go to the farmhouse uh, at Breck Brew and pick it up there as well. Uh, also, guys, it's that time of year again. Conference tournaments are tipping off. Bubble teams are making their final push for a bid while the top seeds are preparing for what they hope is a long run. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new customers in the center of the action. Bet $4 on an underdog. Win $256 if they win. Whoa, what? Let me read that again. Bet $4 on an underdog. Win $256 if they win. Uh, It's honestly that simple. With DraftKings Sportsbook, pick one of many selected college basketball underdogs for your shot at winning $256. All it takes is a $4 bet. So make sure to download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code DNBR. Of course, you have to use promo code DNBR when you sign up to turn $4 into $256. If the underdog of your choosing pulls off the upset, that's code DNVR to turn $4 into $256 for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Excited for March Madness, man. You're, you're a CU guy. CU, people don't know this. So CU has obviously a big conference tournament coming up and it they're going to be a tournament team i think no matter what happens but they have a chance to be like a legitimate especially this year is going to be weirder than most years for tournament wise there could be more upsets like i'm cautiously optimistic about cu that people don't know they have a big guy that he has some Jokic-ness to him he's not a Jokic, but he's got some Jokic-ness to him yeah evan batty he's like Kind of an old school, big, good passer, nice touch around the rim. Team, 100% um, team player. Yeah, just super unselfish, the heartbeat of the team. Uh, yeah, he's awesome. I, I always just get cautiously optimistic about the Buffs in the tournament <laughs> because I think they've only won one tournament game in the last, uh, in the Boyle era, at least. So cautiously optimistic. I'm never optimistic because I'm not a CU guy, so I don't have like skin in this game. So I'm never optimistic about them. But this year, I kind of am. Like, you know, I just I feel like they could make a run. I like their team. I think they're I think they have some pieces. So um, I'm I'm excited to follow them. Uh, we'll move on though to talk about 
Jamal Murray now. If we look at his last 12 games, they're pretty wild. 28 and a half points per game, 55% from the field, over 55%, 47% from three on eight attempts per game, which is big for Murray. 92 and a half percent free throws. Why is that important? Because that's what Jamal Murray usually shoots from the free throw line. He's usually around 90%, but this year he's been pretty bad. 80, 85% basically on the season. Um, but that's after this 92% he has been over the last month of the season, basically. So it's really dragging it up. And to me, that actually does mean something, Harrison. To me, it actually matches an eye test, which is that he has been way more focused and intense and more of a killer over the last 12 games. And I think that part of his free throws, maybe there were injuries, as he was saying, and just fatigue and whatever else. But I think more than anything, it was like he finally got into like focus mode. And it's no coincidence all of his numbers are up, including free throw shooting. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. He seems more focused. He seems more locked in. Uh, he just seems more in control when he's out there. And it's led to just, honestly, it's the most consistent stretch that Jamal Murray's ever played in the regular season. And it's not close. I mean, 12 yeah. straight 20-plus point games. His yeah, previous close, high in the regular season was six. That's crazy. Like, it's the best regular season stretch he's ever played. And like I said, it's not close. I love how he's kind of picking and choosing his spots even right now. And this honestly was a complaint that, that I've had about Murray before, like, Oh, he doesn't do anything in the first half. And then, you know, suddenly he scores 18 in the fourth to lead him to this like unbelievable come from behind victory. I like how he's picking his spots this season because I think he's learning how to turn it on and off, but not turn it on and off like to the detriment of the team. Mm-hmm. I was thinking back to the the win against Indiana right before the break. He scores nine points in the first half, two or three shooting. He was pretty quiet, but I felt like he was pretty consciously just letting Jokic and Michael Porter and even Will Barton, who had a big first half, just absolutely cook. He was trying yeah. to set those guys up. He was letting them go. And they all hit double figure scoring in the first half. And then once the third quarter hit and the fourth quarter hit, he kind of sensed that he needed to take on and kind of take over. And that's what he did 14 points over the third and fourth quarters against the Pacers. So I think that's just another area where he's kind of grown. Definitely, man. And it's funny about the consistency because, you know, it's going to, it's going to take the rest of the year for me to like fully like know, but I, if you did ask me like what I was betting on, I'd say, yeah, this guy's, this is what it, you know, this is who he is. I'm curious to see if that streak is an important one to him. Because Denver, he can play a good game without scoring 20 points. Like the nice thing about having Michael Porter sort of integrated into the offense more and more with each game is Jokic doesn't have to score every night. And Porter doesn't have to score. Like one of those guys can go off for a big scoring night and the other guys kind of fade to the background. We saw Murray even do this over the last couple of games. So I don't think the streak is important and I don't want there to be too much like pressure. I don't think he feels too much pressure on it, but I do wonder like how high it can go, how many games in a row he can get over 20. Or if you, in your opinion, do you think this break maybe halted all that? And it's like, you got to reestablish your rhythm now. Yeah. I I don't think it's important to him at all. I really don't. Um, And I I wouldn't be surprised if if the first game Friday, I think they're in Memphis, he comes out and he doesn't score 20, but the Nuggets still win. Mm -hmm. I, I just don't think that stuff's, um, really important to him. And, you know, another reason why I think Jamal has just had this unbelievable month, he's playing next to another true point guard more than he ever has been. Like, yeah. to be quite honest, he's playing a ton of minutes, obviously, in the last several games next to Monte Morris um, in the starting lineup. 
Nuggets have 117.4 offensive rating when those two are on the floor this year. And before Faku Camposo went out, Murray was elite offensively when he was sharing the floor with Camposo. And I think that's something to really watch as Camposo gets back in the lineup after this break. On the season, Nuggets have a 122 offensive rating when those two are on the floor. That's across 199 minutes. That's a good sample. Yeah, there was an eight-game stretch, though. There was an eight-game stretch from February 14th to February 27th where Camposo was playing a ton. And this was up until he went out with the health and safety protocols. 149 of those 199 minutes came in that stretch. They played a ton together over that stretch. And that was right in the middle of Jamal's run of 20 plus point games. Um, So I think that's a a direct kind of correlation there. The more he plays with another point guard, the easier looks he's getting on offense. Do you think this also goes towards um, PJ Dozier? I mean, I don't know if we have the numbers for that. I could look them up really quickly, but do you think he counts as that secondary point guard? Yeah, I'm not sure he could, but the thing about Dozier is he definitely looks for his offense way more so <laughs> than Monte Morris and Faku Camposo do. Yeah. Um, I'd probably rank them like Camposo clearly looks for his offense the least, right? Then Morris second, then then Dozier I, I think looks for his offense way more than those two do, just his individual stuff. So, you know, maybe I don't think we've seen it enough, but um, maybe. I think I don't even know if I would say that that. I don't even know if I would say that like Monte and Faku both, neither one look for their, I, I wouldn't even rank them. Neither one of them. Th- those guys are very good at just playing within themselves. Um, so, I mean, Faku's maybe more aggressive looking to become like a, a an initiate. Like he's just more aggressive in general, but he's a very aggressive person. Just he's a very aggressive personality. Whatever he's on the court, he's just very aggressive. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I'm looking at the Dozier stuff here, and I think it's a pretty neutral. I mean, plus five point four when those two are on the court. Um, you know, I, if you if I add Jokic into that equation, let me see if that changes things here. Is a three player lineup. Um, then it becomes actually a negative net, which is interesting. So um, again, I don't know the, the lineup data with that. There's not a ton of minutes. Um, so I don't, I don't really know. In fact, the number one lineup that those three have shared the court, Jokic, Dozier, Murray features Monte and Barton. So it's like a hyper it's that's the mini lads is the well, most common. That, Dozier. that was, that was uh, the beginning of the season with the Dozier at power. Right. And it was a minus 15 net. So like your most used lineup is the mini lads and it, and it didn't look good. So I, I, I'm inclined to say that Dozier, we don't really know anything about, but I would be curious because as we talk about what lineups will work going forward, Dozier is one of those really interesting ones to me because he has the defense of a Gary Harris, not maybe not quite at the Gary Harris's level, but he has, I think he's a good impactful defender and he does have the ability to put it on the floor. The one thing is, if he's sharing the court with Jokic, Murray, and Porter, his usage needs to be really low. Like he he can't make mistakes, he can't take shots out of turn, but he still needs to like make all the right plays. So, TBD. I, I would hope I hope we get a, a a sample of it. But those are interesting numbers with Murray and and him sharing the court with a, another guard. I do think that's just such a huge part of it. Um, so you you think pretty definitively this Jamal Murray is here to stay though, whether it's twenty points per game or whatever, just the the good version of him that is like all-star caliber yeah i'd say so and i don't know if we'll ever definitively know but he just seems way healthier to me than he he was earlier in the season and i think that really hurt his play um and also probably just hurt his um just his mental like i've got Mm -hmm. a feeling when you like when you have all those injuries piling up and 
you bang your shoulder or, or you hit your elbow wrong. You're just like, Oh, again, yeah. I've got to feel like that, that weighs on you during a game. You were talking earlier about John ja Morant, the first game of the season against Memphis. And one of the things, you know, with Jokic, when he goes up against other good bigs, like we judge him on it. Like, you know, you don't want him to be outplayed by a Gobert or an Embiid or a Towns. And I mean, if Denver wins, you kind of don't care what the numbers say, but if when they lose, if Jokic get, it doesn't happen too often anymore, but early on in his career, we'd say like, oh yeah, you know, he just, he got outplayed by Dwight or he got outplayed by so-and-so tonight. And that's why Denver lost. And I think with Murray, you know, even earlier this season, Trey Young really just took it to the nuggets. And there were other guards that have come in and, and just shine brighter than him. We talked about De'Aaron Fox, you know, in that Sacramento one. I'd love for Murray to sort of really start taking those matchups personally to where every night he gets outplayed. If, if Denver loses and the opposing point guard plays better than him, like he, he he should wear that heavily, you know, that should, that should weigh on him. So John Morant's a perfect example of that because most people have John Morant ranked higher than Murray even still. And he should take that a little personally, I think. Yeah. So, so do you, do you think he, he thinks of Morant as, as one of those guys or is Morant not on his, his like radar yet? Well, he should be. It's funny you say that because I was listening to Nate Duncan's podcast today, Dunked On, and they were ranking all the young prospects and they had Morant ahead of him. And I just kind of remember, and they all, they, they, him and Danny both made the comment about, you know, well, Murray's the only guy of all the list of these guys that they were had in that kind of same range. He's the only one that has really proven he can do this on the biggest stage. And I do think that's one thing you can't take away from Jamal Murray. And I think us here internally, here in Denver, we're maybe even more quick to say, hey, we've seen Murray show up in the clutch and, you know, not just playoffs, but in, in crunch time of the regular season. And we kind of have this belief in him. But I think it's a fair perspective for an outs- anybody outside to look at and just say, hey, man, the numbers say Morant's better, you know, or more reliable or more consistent or more dominant, whatever it is. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. You don't agree. You don't think it's no, close. I mean, I, I don't know if John Morant's there yet. I mean, like, Murray just seems like to me, and, and obviously I'm, I'm so deep in it, but right. like he's a guy that's already accomplished a ton. He's been to the playoffs twice. He's, I think, even going back to 2019, for it being his first time in the playoffs, for, for the competition he was up against, I thought he had a pretty impressive playoff debut, all things considered, even though yeah. he had that game seven against Portland, and then backed it up with, with just like an all-time performance in the bubble. So, yeah, I think those two are on different levels. That, that's just me, though. I mean, the numbers are, I think, favor Murray quite a bit. If you look at points per game, like Ja's only at 20. You know, he is younger by a fair amount. He's three years younger, two and a half years younger. So there's, you know, you, you kind of look at that trajectory. If you compare him to Murray's sophomore year, you know, he would really outshine him. But, you know, he's, Morant's only shooting 23% from three. That's like well below the threshold of what you should be hopeful for. Like if somebody is shooting 23%, you're like, yeah, that's not a shooter. You know, yeah. no, no good shooter shoots that poorly. Um, the, the other thing about this comp is that like Morant, he's been the guy in Memphis the whole yeah. time. And I mean, I know they've had like Jaron Jackson there, but I mean, it's, no, it's, it's Morant. Morant's, That's true. John Morant's team. team. Yeah, It's been Morant's team. He's been the guy. He's been the number one guy. This has never been Murray's team. No. Um, so it's, an, it's just an interesting one. And nonetheless, they're close enough that I hope that Murray looks at that one and says, you know, okay, that's oh, game on, you know, let's, let's see what you got. I, to me, John Morant might be like Deandre Ayton to Jokic. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, so we'll, even if he thinks he's better, it's like, hey, I can't let this young gun outperform me. Uh, let's move on, though, now to Jokic um, and just, 
you know, he's on this MVP case and I don't really want to talk about care to talk about the MVP race, but I do want to talk about, you know, his numbers actually increased as the season went on, which yeah. is kind of crazy. Like you think of like, maybe he had some early big games and that early, you know, 40 some or whatever. But actually, if you look at it from the splits perspective, he ended the season on a high, like the month of March, he was averaging, he had two 30 point games in the month of March uh, in just three games, three of the four or two of the, sorry, two of the last three games of the season. Um, and his numbers in January and February are pretty even right around 27 points. So it's not like he's had one stretch where you go, oh yeah, this was the hot stretch. He's just been good the whole time. And it seems like maybe even slightly better towards the, the right before the break. Yeah. He's, um, he continues to just defy the, the expectations or what he should be doing. Um, it's funny. I was getting this question a lot, like on the radio and just from friends, like, okay, Nuggets are on this four-game win streak. Did the All-Star break come at the worst time possible? They had this momentum. Right, they had right. a starting lineup that was playing really well. Porter and the big three were in such a great rhythm. Did this All-Star break come at a terrible time? And look, like, yeah, they were hot. But I think you could tell that Jokic's fuse was running a little short uh, yeah. over the last couple of games. He needed a break. Yeah, he needed a break. He was getting frustrated pretty easily. And look, like it didn't affect his play, but you could kind of see it game to game kind of building. And I don't blame him, man. Um, I don't blame him. So I kind of pushed back against that. And I, I said, like, yeah, I think the Nuggets did need this break. And Nicole Jokic did need this break. I mean, the guys played the second most minutes in the league this year, just total. And yeah. the only guy he's behind is Julius Randle, who's being coached by Tom Thibodeau. So you do know? you think that means he's using too much energy? I mean, honest question. Are you concerned about that stat? Um, slightly, slightly. Oh. I, I'm less concerned about it just knowing the shape that Jokic is in and how dedicated he's been all year in the weight room behind the scenes, uh, his body and his diet. I, I think he's in a position this year to play those minutes and play the load where I don't know if he was in that position last year, definitely yeah. not the year before. So that makes me a little less concerned. Um, but yeah, he's like I said, he's played the second most minutes in the league this year. He's played 24% more minutes than Joel Embiid. Um, How many? So 24% more minutes than Holy Joel Embiid. Holy crap. That's crazy. Yeah. Joel Embiid hasn't even played 1,000 minutes yet. That's um, crazy. But yeah, I think he and, and the Nuggets could use this break, yeah. I'd say I'm slightly concerned about it too, but not too much. I do just think he's like, you know, obviously really well <laughs> – you know, he's like in great shape. He plays at a funky pace that just doesn't seem to ever be like really wearing on him. I do think the mental aspect of it though is, and I think Michael Malone is good about this sort of monitoring the sort of vibe of, of not just the team, but also individual players. And you mentioned him getting irritable. I think that's how he, that, I, I almost worry more about his mind than his body. <laughs> like you, you need, you need Jokic in a good place mentally too. And, um, you know, hopefully he got a nice rest in. I'm sure people don't know this, but when they reconvene for camp and start doing practice or for practice, ramping up for Friday, Jokic probably won't participate in those other than maybe in like drills and he'll be there, but he won't, they won't run him. They'll like, they'll keep him off of his feet. So, um, you know, this is hopefully a good chance to recharge the battery and get ready. I do wonder though, he's averaging 27.1 points. What would you predict he is going to be averaging um, by the end of the season? I'm going to say 27 points. Wow. You just think this is it? He keeps going. I mean, why not? 
Um, I actually no, I could see why not because Jamal Murray's scoring 20 plus points a game every game. Yeah. And, and Michael Porter Jr. is in a great group offensively. Theoretically, they don't need this much from Nicole Jokic. I mean, they've got the fifth best offense in the league. They've been trending up in offense over the last couple of weeks. They don't need this from Jokic, but that doesn't mean he's not going to give them 27 a game. <laughs> I yeah. didn't get out. Every time we're like, this isn't a Jokic game. He'll take it right. easy. Like somebody, then he just ends up averaging all these points anyway and scoring them. So I, I, who knows? Here's the funniest stat to me, Harrison. I, game score is not a very good metric, in my opinion. In fact, it, it kind of sucks. But it gives you a broad strokes view. Jokic's third worst game this season, his third worst game score, 20 points, 12 rebounds, 8 assists, 9 of 18 shooting. That's his, that's a near 20 point triple double on 50% shooting 50% from three. And that's almost his worst game. Now he had seven turnovers, but still 20, 12 and eight as your third worst. This dude's been good. The only two games he's had that were bad were against the Lakers and against the Hawks. Those two games, I think he was definitively bad in. And even the Hawks game was 15, 10 and six. But other than those two games, I honest to God think his third best game would be like, it's like an A minus game. It's pretty crazy. It's, yeah, it's it's wild. And then if you go obviously to the top of these game scores, I mean, I, I was doing this is just such a fun thing I was doing last night where I was just like, these are random box scores that Jokic put up this season, just random. Uh, let's see, fifty points, eight rebounds, twelve assists. That was a game he had. Uh, Thirty-seven, ten, and eleven. That was a game he had. This is. I'm not even going in order, by the way, of like best <laughs> games. I'm just randomly picking out games. Uh, he had nineteen points, twelve rebounds, eighteen assists, twenty-nine. If I go down, this is the thirteenth best game score of the year. Twenty-nine points, fifteen rebounds, fourteen assists. Like <laughs> a near 15, 15, 15 game, and that's like his thirteenth best game score. It's just. It's crazy, man. This dude has been has been absolutely unreal. I'm gonna go lower though. I think I think he averages like, I think he finishes around 25 and a half or 26 points. But it, it's more because if you do look at some of these games he had, 50 points they lost, uh, 43 points they lost, uh, 38 points they lost, and those points came out of desperation. I just think the Nuggets might be a little bit less desperate in the second half of the season for him to put up big points. Yeah, I I agree there. I agree there. My favorite stat about Jokic scoring this season is he's got four 40-plus games, 40-plus point games. He usually has one a year. He's usually good for <laughs> one 40-plus point game a year. He's had one every year of his career, I believe, except his rookie season. And he has four this year. What if he gets four 40-plus point games over the second half of the season? That'd be awesome. It's possible. Oh. Yeah. I will say he's scoring easier as much as I think the the team will be desperate less. Like he he's also doing it with pretty effortlessly. So I don't feel like he's really overextending on these points. He's just that good. Um, so I'm curious. I'm also, you know, his shot has obviously been phenomenal. His three point shot. And I am curious as more arenas start to open, potentially even Denver's ball arena. I'm curious just to see league wide. If guys, the shots tighten up a little bit. So um, we'll see. Next one I have here, we talked that we alluded to it earlier, but does Denver need a small forward? I, I, you're, I'll just ask you that, I guess, first. Does Denver need to add a small forward this year in order to compete? Oh, man. That's tough. That's so tough. If they're going up against the Lakers, um, maybe not even the Lakers. If they're going up against the, the Clippers, like maybe – um, but if you look at the West playoff teams, 
and we're talking about a defensive small forward here. We're, we're talking about a defensive small forward yeah. who could probably play the three, four. Do you need that guy against the Jets? No. Do you need that guy against the Phoenix Suns? No. Uh, do you need that guy against the Portland Trailblazers? I don't think so. Well, I think you need defenders. Like, yeah. But you're right that you don't have like a specific matchup. But I do think that even against those teams, if you had a guy that can guard, then like your whole defense is better. Sure. Yeah. But, but what I'm saying, it's like against the Jazz, you've got Gary Harris and PJ Dozier who, who can probably do a pretty decent job on a Mike Conley and a Donovan Mitchell against Chris Paul. I think Harrison Dozier can do an okay job. Same goes for Portland matching up with Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. Um, Dallas with, with Luca, like Curry. I, I think you've got decent, a couple decent guys you can throw at opposing guards. Yeah. Um, the Lakers and Clippers, like, like, yeah, it's tough, but you know, there, there's so few guys in the league that can slow That's those guys thing. down. I, I know, you know, we talked last playoffs on the podcast. Um, or at least I think I remember us talking about a couple of decent games that Jeremy Grant had against Kawhi Leonard. It's not like he shut Kawhi Leonard down. Kawhi still had some good games, but he was able to bother him. Um, so there's just not many guys in the league that can, you know, slow those two guys down on the Clippers or even a, a LeBron James, for, you know? Yeah, totally. So I, it, there is that part of it just to like, who do you go out and get? And we'll talk about that here in a second. Um, but here's an interesting thing to kind of think about and what you're alluding to. There's not like a lot of names out there right now. Um, but it's what you do wonder, is it better to grab an okay one now just for roster clarity purposes, just to be like, you know, right now, what is Barton playing your three or is Michael Porter? And then you're playing kind of big. It's just either, both of those have flaws. Maybe it makes sense to get a six, eight guy to play the three. Who's just okay. Like he's not great, but Hey, it makes sense. Yeah. You know, you get, is it better to do that or is it important to save assets for later? And I don't know the answer to this, but you look at the team's sort of cap sheet. The only guys that are really set to expire this year, meaning the only things that could like make Denver feel urgent, my, Will Barton has a player option. Who knows if he'll pick that up? He's a huge question mark here. I mean, one, another another sort of solution to this is Will Barton has been really bad, but he sort of seems to know it. And if he does bounce back, maybe maybe he's as good as anybody you could replace him with. Uh, Jamichael Green has a player option. Paul Millsap's gone. Hartenstein has a player option. Dozier has a team option, so Denver Nuggets control him. That's not, that's not a lot of guys, and they're not really that key of pieces. So even if Denver doesn't do anything now, like they they set up to do something over the summer should they decide to. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think when the Jeremy Grant debacle happened, I think Denver obviously pivoted to Jermichael Green. Um, but I also wonder kind of if they just pivoted their mindset as a front office to this naturally being kind of more of a transition year, like to be mm -hmm. honest, um, where maybe they're going to make a big move at the deadline. I don't think they are, but yeah. maybe they'll take us all by surprise. Um, but maybe, you know, this was just going to be a transition year and a year about the process of getting Porter integrated into that starting lineup, which I think was obviously the front office's number one priority this season, just based on the guys that they didn't bring back Tory Craig, speaking of, right. um, so I wonder after the Jeremy Grant thing happened, if they just kind of pivoted towards, all right, you know, things didn't go to plan. Let's, let's just like do what we can and really evaluate after this season ends. 
What's kind of funny is you feel like you really get the sense that they did not re-sign Torrey Craig and brought back Paul Millsap to force Malone to play Porter. Um, and I think it worked, but I also wonder if their best option would have been if Craig was here and Millsap wasn't and Porter was just playing more power forward. <laughs> like yeah. it's kind of a funny, I almost would feel better about the, a Craig Porter combo than a Porter Millsap combo, but who knows? Well, I, I wrote this like last, was that last week when the Nuggets played the Bucks or, or two weeks ago? Yeah, when it was last week. Was. Um, they brought Millsap back. He became their top priority after Jeremy Grant left. They felt like they needed another true power forward to bolster their front line. And by the time they signed Paul Millsap and Jamichael Green was under contract and they already had a roster spot for Faka Composto. And right. like the first domino to really fall, honestly, was them trading into the first round and grabbing RJ Hampton and right. walking away from draft night with two roster spots, except one right. that kind of dried up one of the roster spots they might've had for yeah. maybe a Tory Craig, but you know, them losing Jeremy Grant after that, they thought they needed a- another true forward and a true forward slash center. So yeah. they chose Millsap, I think over Tory Craig there. Yeah. Interesting. All right, let's hit our last break. On the other side, though, we'll talk about whether or not Denver can pull off a trade. Some some quick names, not really a deep dive, but a you know skin deep dive. Uh, who gets cut out of the regard rotation, which is a big one, and then of course where they you think they're going to finish or where they can finish, what they should aim for. So we'll take a break. We'll talk about those things. Yeah, guys, no matter what type of student you are, if you're a first-time freshman going to college uh, for the first time, or maybe you just got a couple credits to finish up for your degree. MSU Denver Online is an awesome place to take classes. They've got great teachers who know how to teach online, who work in the fields that they teach. Check out their entire course list at msudenver.edu backslash online. Like I said, great for any type of student and their teachers know how to teach online. They know how to work with you if you work a job on the side and have a weird schedule. Check out their entire course list at msudenver.edu backslash online. Uh, also, got to talk about the uh, no longer undefeated, the currently one and one Colorado Exos. Uh, if you don't know about the Colorado Exos, it's a really cool thing um, that the Rugby Town USA is doing here in Colorado. Pretty much, they're taking athletes from all different backgrounds football, basketball, baseball, wrestling, soccer, track and field. All, all these people are just like incredible athletes. And they're teaching them the game of rugby. They're placing them in a full-time rugby training environment. And they're kind of bolstering uh, the talent uh, on the United States national team with these awesome athletes. So uh, it's a really cool thing that Rugby Town USA is doing. They're called the Colorado XOs. They're currently a one-in-one. And like I said, they place these athletes in a full-time rugby training environment. Um, so you can go out and watch their matches. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Check them out. The Cardo XOs. Okay. Back here, uh, DNVR Nuggets podcast, me and Harrison Wynn, of course, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. So now we have to look at, can the Nuggets pull off a trade? And you wrote this question in here. First of all, do you think that they feel pressure to make one, the front office? I don't. I don't think they feel pressure. And this kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier that like after what happened last summer, I really wonder if they just kind of looked at this as a transition year and look, the nuggets, their goal this whole time, it's not to compete for one year. It's to build a sustained championship window. And and I think they believe they're on their path to doing that. I, I, I don't think their confidence 
um, has wavered that much in Michael Porter Jr. And obviously what Porter did to wrap up the first half of the season, I think Denver's front office is very much a still believer in him. And and I think the Nuggets, you know, they're not going to kind of abort the core philosophies that they've been operating under for the last couple of years. Um, I don't think they're suddenly going to trade off all their, you know, young guys for, you know, somebody who's might only be here for, you know, the, but don't you think they maybe should? I mean, Jokic has two more years after this one. Like their, their title window opened up the moment they made the Western conference finals last year to take a, we're just going to take a step back because it sets us up for the future. Like the future is only as long as Jokic's contract. The window is only as long as Jokic's contract. And as much as we both think that he likes being in Denver and will be in Denver long-term, like I just don't like the idea of saying this year, this year in which, by the way, there's openings, like there, there's an opportunity that some of these teams aren't, aren't are going to struggle or that Denver, you know, at their best looks good. So part of me, I understand what you're saying, but part of me thinks that's a mistake. And maybe I'm just being poisoned by George Carl, who definitely thinks that's a mistake. Yeah. I wouldn't say they're fine with taking a step back. Like I, I think they'll look to improve the roster for sure. I think they'll try to make some deals. They'll, they'll try to upgrade at certain positions, particularly on the wing. Um, but do they feel more pressure this year than say last year to make a deal? I really don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think that's how this front office operates. I think they're confident in their core. They're confident in a core that is still really young and still getting better. So I just don't think they feel pressure. Like if we're talking about the word pressure, I don't think they feel that. Right. So some num- some names, part of this is just who's available we, we're not going to do a deep dive on this, but I'll just give you some names. You can tell me if you like the player. John Collins has been a name that's been, you know, rumored to be available. He's, uh, I believe, in, still in his rookie contract, so looking for a, a longer one here. I like John Collins. I don't know if I like him for the Nuggets. I think he just might be too good, to be honest, to to put into this group of players. He definitely is too good. Like he wanted to be a max guy and I don't, it, he would clearly be the fourth guy here. I mean, you're trying to build around Porter as your third. So I don't know if he would accept that even if in the odd chance that you can make it work financially. Lonzo ball. My uh, guy. Love, love, love the fit. Love the fit. I've talked myself into, into the Lonzo ball fit. People don't realize he's been great since they've made this point Zion experiment. And it's really not that dissimilar from the point Jokic experiment. And he fits the problem with him is similar to John Collins. Like, you know, Lonzo Ball thinks he's a star as well. And I think he could be, I don't, he's not a max guy, but 20 million, is he cool being the fourth guy, the fourth name called and mentioned and everything? Like, I, I don't know. I, I, he would be great at it, but maybe that's too small of a role for him. I wonder if he's cool being the Gary Harris, the next iteration of Gary Harris, because yeah. I think Lonzo's got, got a lot of great qualities that would make him fit really well next to Jamal Murray too. I also wonder about the redundancy with they've got Barton and Dozier who, you know, they're all different, but there's like crossover between all of their skill sets. Um, DeMar DeRozan, interesting one. Yeah. Um, I actually really like DeRozan's potential fit on this team. Um, he, he's a guy who you could stick with the bench unit and just kind of be a focal point of that. He's experienced which I think is something if Denver's trading for a guy, I think you want to find a guy who's experienced and been in a lot of playoff games before. 
Yeah, he is experienced. He's also like shooting the ball pretty well. Actually, hits dropped off. He's at only thirty percent from three, and he's only taken two a game. So, he had a he had a hotter start. It looks like it's fallen off. It, it, it's fallen off from there. I don't know how good of a fit he is. Um, and he's the type of guy. I mean, he's an expiring, albeit a twenty eight million dollar one. So that would be like a huge salary to try to match, even with your trade exception. But I just if it doesn't work, it like it really kind of almost blows up in your face because that's another guy that expects touches and minutes and everything else and you can't really go away from it the way you could with some of these other guys Aaron Gordon um you know this is the one that I see like everybody on Nuggets Twitter wants Nuggets to trade for Aaron Gordon um I I think it could be a good fit but I, I wonder if he fits under the John Collins category of just being too good yeah, he might. He's and he's also a guy that like. I mean, this is what his sixth year, seventh year. Like, I think people are really. It was the same with Blake Griffin. I got a bunch of people hitting me up, being like, "How did Denver not go for Blake Griffin?" And it's like, do you guys realize that Blake Griffin? We're, we're talking. You're thinking of Lob City Blake Griffin, which was like seven years ago. Like <laughs> this, this one. And I think I think Aaron Gordon's a little bit of that, where we remember him as the like exciting draft prospect and dunk participant and this or that. But he's really like a disappointing star. And I don't know. Yeah. It's always hard for a disappointing star to transition into a elite role player, which is yeah. what I think he could be. I just, I don't know if that's what he wants. Yeah. So uh, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, Evan Fournier, the re- uh, reunite with his old squad. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to pass on that one. Why? Pass on that one. I don't know. Do the Nuggets need just an all offense type player? Is that really what they need right now? I mean, he's long. He's six foot seven, which just gives you like height. I mean, again, he's like, you know, he's a bit of a shooting guard slash small forward. So maybe it's not the perfect clarity, but he, I mean, it's more clarity than what they have now. I guess Will Barton's kind of similar, similar profile, 205, 210 pounds. Yeah. Uh, so maybe not. Um, Terrence Ross. I keep hearing his name thrown around. Yeah. I, Terrence Ross. I was actually looking at some of his stuff today apparently he's a pretty decent defender these days which Mm. kind of makes him a little more appealing I don't think he shot the ball great from three this year but I typically has been a pretty capable shooter so that's that's intriguing again I don't know how big of a needle mover that would be yeah Uh, but but like you've been saying maybe that gives you some more clarity just in terms of who you're playing and who you're not playing and he's got a contract for a couple more years, 13 and a half. So, I mean, he would be like a Will Barton straight up type trade. Um, and you're just replacing them in the lineup. It's funny. They kind of have similar builds, similar bodies, but he would be under contract for two more years. It's just one of the things you start to look at is what does Denver want? Do they want to go into free agency with like roster spots to fill? Or do they want to just do this in the trade market? It might be smarter to try trade market. Um If you really believe in a guy, here's an interesting one. Nobody's talking about Garrett Temple. He has a 20, I'll tell you right now, he has a 20-point net rating swing on off. What what team is Garrett Temple even on? I'm sorry. Chicago. <laughs> is it just, just just saw him. Oh, yeah, he's on Chicago. That's right. And he's like, you know, he's been around. He's played for some teams. He's a vet. He's been in at least 34. Like, he's been around. He's six foot five. He's kind of smaller than I, I thought. I thought he was like six 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 seven. See, I'm interested in potentially another Chicago Bull who – apparently might be getting bought out auto porter that would be a, a hefty buyout but if he's healthy I, I think he's interesting 
He is really interesting. He's another one that I think of as like the Washington Auto Porter, where it's like, oh yeah, this guy's awesome. Although he does, you know, he still shoots it well. He just hadn't played that many games over the last several <laughs> years. That's the that's the thing about him. Um, so who knows? Um, he's also currently injured, so you have to like, kind of wait and see when he when he gets back. Wayne Ellington. Wayne Ellington, I like because something that um, I mean, the Nuggets have kind of lacked just that no doubt three-point shooter yeah. and like like Michael Porter is this type of guy but what Wayne Ellington is like the Duncan Robinson or the Seth Curry when he just has that sliver of airspace he's just letting it fly from three yeah. he's that good of a shooter um Nuggets have never had one of those guys and selfishly those guys are just really fun to watch and effective he's- He's played for like nine teams. He's like yeah. definitely a journeyman. So, um, but I mean, he could be interesting. He's only six four, so he's like smaller than you kind of think as well. Rudy Gay, Rudy Gay's made forty over forty percent of his catch and shoot threes. He's got experience. He's got experience. He's got one for a while. Yeah, I mean, he's that's like yeah, he's more of like a off the bench. I don't I don't see Denver doing this. Torian Prince, interesting one. He's on an expiring thirteen million. Interesting. Um, it's so funny because like for Denver to pull off one of these trades and for a Torian Prince who, you know, who's on a $13 million expiring deal, that would mean like a Will Barton or a Gary Harris is in that trade. Right. Most likely. Yep. Gary Harris, who, who, you know, has been injured for the last month. Uh, Will Barton, who, has been like so up and down this season. Who knows what type of trade value those guys have? Like, yeah. would you rather lose Torian Prince for nothing or have one of those guys on their books for next season? You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I guess that's kind of true. It depends on how Denver values them and the guys behind them, including like RJ Hampton and, and PJ Dozier. Um, last two for you, PJ Tucker. I think every, I think price for him might be kind of high because I have a feeling a lot of teams are going to be going after PJ Tucker. I think he winds up on a contender. So yeah, does PJ Tucker wind up in Brooklyn or with the Lakers or with the Clippers? Because it's probably one of those three teams. <laughs> you think he'd but, be uh, so bummed if he was in Denver and you'd be like, "What? I thought I was going to the coast." Yeah. Now, I, even though PJ Tucker, I think would have some redundancy with Millsap and Jamichael Green. Um, I wonder if I'd rather have PJ Tucker than any of those two. And uh, experience and just a guy who's been in a lot of big game situations. I, I really think that's something Denver should prioritize if they can. I know it might not be possible, but if they can um, at the deadline, get a guy who's been there before. Yeah. Yeah. Like he could be that. I mean, he certainly would be that. I, he would kind of replace the guy they brought in, Jamichael Green, though. Same goes for my next guy on my list, Nemanja Bialica, who I've been wanting to get in Denver for the longest, but he's on an expiring and he too is like, I mean, he's just Jermichael Green, you know, and a, the Serbian Jermichael Green. Yeah, so. he's the Serbian Jermichael Green. And I like Bielitsa probably even a little bit better, but what I mean, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. All right, let's get out of that. Last two questions I have on here with the guard rotations. Interesting. Faku, Dozier, Monte Barton, Harris Murray. Right, Murray's staying in the rotation. Past that, I have no idea what it looks like. If you look at all those guys, who do you think is least likely to be playing when they're all healthy? Oh man, 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 man. Least amount of minutes. Per Just least game. likely to play. They can't all play that six guys. They can't <laughs> all play. Know. They can't all play, but I really wonder if the Nuggets try to find a way to play them all. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
it's funny because like sometimes this kind of stuff just works out for the Nuggets because they have so many guys who get injured so often. It did for the last month, yeah. Yeah, um, this has worked out for them before. Uh, I will say if all those guys are on the team, I'm going to say Faku is out of the rotation. That's what I think too. I think he's the guy that's out. He's the guy I would like to be out. And I even like Faku. Like when he gets to play, I like him. But somebody has to sit. It's definitely not Murray. Gary Harris has proven his value in large part by not being there. And <laughs> the team always goes down. Um, after that, I think Barton, Monte, Dozier, Faku, you will look at all of them. I mean, Barton wasn't good in the first half. I think he's earned the at least we like see what he looks like after this. But I could see Barton getting kicked. Like I could see him not playing if he continues to struggle or if he gets worse and, 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 and looks bad. Like, I have so much confidence in all the other guys that if he doesn't rebound, you know, if he doesn't bounce back, he could get bumped. But to me, it's very clearly going to be Faku. And I think Dozier maybe plays at the three a little bit. And so I could see him playing, but honestly, I think it's Faku and I think it's Dozier. Yeah. Uh, Monte Morris, zero turnovers in his last 94 fourth quarter minutes. My God. Over 15 games. That's a very valuable trade. Um, the last one, what seed can the Nuggets get? They're currently in sixth. Six is obviously the key because of the play-in. You know, you skip the play-in. They have an easier schedule in the second half than they did the first half. Um, where do you – how high is it possible for them to climb, in your opinion? I think they can get all the way to two. Uh, I don't think it's likely, but yeah. I don't think it's off the table. Like If I had to say where they most likely finish, I'd say four. Okay. But um, twos, I don't think it's out of reach. Uh, yeah. they're three and a half games out of, out of two where the Phoenix Suns are right now. Like you said, they have the easy schedule. I think they've got like 60-something percent of their games at home over right. the second half of the schedule, 26, uh, 26-rated strength of schedule over the second half of the season. And um, they've got momentum. Things are coming together, and I think they'll continue to come together. So. What do you think would be good? Like seeing where they are now, what do you think is considered like above par? Starting from this point, not starting from the start of the year. Yeah. I mean, if you get to the four, I think that's fine. The the, the thing about like how the standings are kind of sorting out, the Suns are screwing this whole thing up. Like the Suns are screwing this whole thing (laughs) up because if the Jazz were the one, the Lakers were the two, the Clippers were the three. Yeah, the Nuggets are fine at the four. Like that's where you prefer to go. So you get the the Jazz in the second round. But with Phoenix up there, who knows what the seating is going to look like? It's probably not going to be able to be something like to worry about. So I think if they get to the four, um, that's fine. If the Jazz are one and the Clippers are two, do you think the Lakers and Suns and everybody else sort of starts tanking? Do you think teams want the Jazz in the second round? <sighs> Over the Suns? No, over the Clippers. I'm saying oh, Clippers. for the second round. If you're if you got it's locked in stone, Jazz one, Clippers two. I just wonder if the Lakers look at that and go, you know, we're gonna rest guys down the stretch. We not you're never gonna try to lose, but you might say, Hey, we want to be fresh for the playoffs and drop to the four. No, I don't think they'd drop. I think they would look at it as saying, Okay, let's get the Clippers in the second round and take care of them so we can have an easier Western Conference mm-hmm. final. Oh, there you go. Um, that, that's kind of it. And then last one is just how important do you think a hot start is? I mean, if you look at the Nuggets schedule, actually, like coming up, it the first part of it is really like 
I think the easiest part of their entire schedule. They at Memphis, they got kind of got screwed on having a back to back immediately when they get back. But at Memphis, and then you fly home to have a road game or now home game on a second night of a back to back against Dallas. That that kind of blows. But you're home against Dallas, Indiana, Charlotte, Chicago. I think they might be favored in all five of those. Then at home against New Orleans, then at Orlando. I think they're going to be favored in all of their first seven games coming out coming into this uh, you know into the second half. I kind of feel like this is a great chance to build momentum and they already have a four game win streak. I know it's broken up, but if you can get a 10 game road tri- a winning streak going, that changes your entire season. Totally. Totally. And like, you've got to keep piling up wins. You can't be flirting with that seven seed. That would just be like terrifying. If you're yeah. at the last week of the season, staring down a potential play in tournament. Um, but no, I- I'm with you. This is a great chance to build momentum. And going back to what I was saying at the top of the show, like that's why I think Denver should kind of keep a similar alignment to what they've had going. Like if you can continue to build momentum with this alignment and you can continue to build momentum with Michael Porter moving towards becoming this all around player, that's best case scenario. It's funny because even after the that Orlando game, you're on the road for a little three-game road swing, but you go at Tampa Bay, at New Orleans, then home against Atlanta, which Atlanta's given Denver a hard time even at home. But, um, you know, all of those games, they might honestly be favored in every single one of those games except for at Tampa Bay Raptors on the 24th, which is the second night of a back-to-back. So they might go through the entire month of March being favored in every game but one. And they might be favored in that Tampa Bay game. I mean, who knows? Toronto you know, they'll probably start to hit their stride again. They probably will be underdogs in that one, but I just think it's a huge stretch for them. And Denver has a lot of questions. And I wonder if like you look at that schedule, I think there's 12 games to play there. If they went, you know, 11 and one, but maybe, you know, didn't really, there's still all these questions surrounding them. I wonder if you'd rather have that, or if you'd rather have like nine and three, but if we really figured out like, okay, now we have the perfect rotation. We know exactly what, what you're supposed to be. Yeah, it's like you want the Nuggets to get off like to a great start, but not such a great start as to where they're a national talking point. <laughs> That's where you do. this team has crumbled. That's funny. <laughs> well, I you go for it. Yeah, you want them to get off to a good start, but not like a undefeated start hey, man. at games to, to where they're a national story. I'll take it, man. Let them be a national story. I don't care. Like set up a nice you know climb through those standings break down all the stupid mvp narratives about all oh, of the record or this or that it's like come on guys let a whole season play out but we'll see well that does it for today those are some of the big questions i think that frame the overall talking points for the nuggets coming into it um including their soft schedule which it, when you really go through it you go man there's a great chance to go like eight and two over those first 10 games like eight and two might be the par like eight and two might be par if you just uh, in a vacuum, put the, the opponents and team. So great opportunity for Denver to rise in the standings and get some confidence. But um, that was Harrison Wind. I'm Adam Matas. That does it for today's episode. We are going to be in studio this week, Wednesday and Thursday at two o'clock on YouTube live. So you guys are going to want to tune in for those. Um, you know, we're going to be breaking down a bunch of just having some fun, getting ready for, for the game. So um, if you miss the DMBA show live, you miss the winner's lounges, we're going to be going live right in the middle of the day. You can pull us up while you do your work and it'll be a great time. Everybody else, we'll see you again tomorrow. Yeah, before we get out of here, guys, if you are looking for a dentist, looking for a place to get your teeth cleaned, a lot of us here at DNVR, we've gone to Green Mountain Dental Group. Uh, some of us have gotten cavities filled there, got them or got our wisdom teeth out. 
It's been a great experience. They're great at what they do. Check them out today. You can get a free Sonicare toothbrush from Green Mountain Dental Group when you schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam. Sonicare top of the line electric toothbrush. You can get one from Green Mountain Dental Group when you schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam today.